Welcome to Passion Life Church. Yeah. Good morning, Passion Life. I'm, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you guys today. Um, this last May, I went to, on a mission trip to Uganda, and uh, every time you say, God is good, the crowd says, Amen. So, God is good. Amen. Thanks so much. So, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you guys today. Uh, excited to talk to people. Uh, the last two weeks, I've been in my garage preaching to the cats, my parents' cats, so um, it'll be a little different, you know, talking to people. Cats haven't really changed their lives much since I started preaching to them, so hopefully you guys get something out of this. No, but my name is Zach. I'm uh, from the Temecula area. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I went off to college in, uh, right outside of Chicago, like Pastor Phil said, and I just graduated this last May. And kind of in that awkward in-between stage, like trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life after college, and so I'm living with my parents right now, and kind of in the little in-between. Um, that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about today, about the in-between. Um, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is coming back, and so we're in the in-between of his two comings. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to the world, and we believe that he's coming back. So I want to talk to you today about what we're supposed to be doing while we wait. So we entitled the message, While You Wait. And so... <clears throat> Um, we hear that God has a plan for us. We hear that God has a will for us. We hear that we're supposed to be doing something, but um, we got to figure out kind of what we're supposed to be doing right now, you know. In my last year at college, there's a lot of pressure on me. Um, I was about to graduate, and I didn't really know what I was doing next in my life. Uh, people would always ask, you know, what are you doing next? What, uh, what are the next steps? You got an internship, you got a job lined up, and I really didn't have anything, so it caused me a lot of fear, anxiety, but um, a big thing that God taught me was to be faithful where I'm at, and um, I know a lot of us feel that way. I don't know if you're single or if you're not married yet, you're dating somebody. People's always asking, like, when are you going to get married? You know, especially at my school, I feel like somebody, you know, went on a coffee date for the first time, and people are like, all right, you know, you got to start planning your marriage, you know, a year from now, you know, you got to be married, have a couple kids, so, I don't know, there's a lot of pressure. Or you're already married and um, you might not have a kid yet, and people are always asking, you know, when are you going to have a baby, what's the next step? There's always pressure, like, when's the next baby coming? People are baby crazy, they just want you guys to keep having babies, I don't know <laughs> what that's about. But, or you're, you're, you're trying to retire soon, retirement's in the near future, and... There's a lot of pressure that comes along with it, you know. What, do you have enough saved up? Do you have enough invested? There's a lot of pressure. And so when there's a lot of pressure on us to do what's next, to look forward to the next thing that we're supposed to do, we kind of lose sight of being faithful with where we're at. And so that brings us to the parable, a parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 25. So if you don't mind, turn your Bibles to Matthew 25. Jesus is teaching a parable to his disciples, and it comes as a response, a response to a question that the disciples asked Jesus. They said, when are you coming back? Because he was teaching on uh, some different signs, uh, some famines, earthquakes, natural disasters, some stuff that's going to happen before he's coming back. But his answer to their question, he said, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So his main point is not when he's coming back, but what he's going to do. Or sorry, not when he's coming back, but what we're supposed to be doing. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. 
To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So we're going to pause right there. We're looking at a parable that Jesus is teaching. Um, if you're not familiar with the style of Jesus teaching, he often taught in parables, which are just short stories with kind of a significant implied meaning to them. The characters in Jesus' stories were always very important. Um, he always had something, someone that portrayed him and someone that portrayed people. So in this story, the master that's leaving for a long time and is coming back is Jesus, and his servants are people. So in this story, the master entrusts property to his servants. He entrusts talents to his servants. Um, back then, a talent was a unit of measurement. So it was said that it was up to 75 pounds of money for just one talent. So even the guy with just the one talent was given a boatload of money. So the first thing that we need to notice in this passage is whether it was a little or a lot, they were all given something. And so the first um, point <clears throat> that I'll go over right now is that God gives us something to start with. God has given you something to start with. Whether if it's a lot, whether it's a little, God has given you something. We're all good at something, you know. Whether if you're equipped, you're good relationally, you're good with people, or you're good with computers, you like technology, you're, good, you're a good musician, you're good working on cars, whatever it is, God has equipped you. And the worst thing that we can do with our gifts and talents that God has given us is to compare them to other people. I love the example of the second servant um, in Jesus' parable. The second servant was given less than half of the first servant. First servant was given five talents. The seven, second servant was only getting two. And as we see, the second servant does exactly what the first servant does. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't wait um, to, to feel bad about himself or feel inadequate or feel inferior to the first guy. He goes at once and puts to work what the master gave him. And I think a lot of the times we can get in that, that way of thinking. We look at other people who are better at certain things or we come to church and we see the pastor preaching, we see Pastor Phil, and we're like, man, God could never use me to do something like that. Or we see uh, the worship team playing and we're like, you, you feel bad about your gifts because you're not talented musically or talented, something like that, and you feel inferior. But the truth is that God has equipped you with something. And he expects, expects you to be faithful with what he's equipped you to be. God is the, good, God is the great gift giver. It says that every, every good and perfect gift comes from God. So the things that you have have been given from God. And so when you feel bad about the gifts that you have, you're feeling bad about what God gave you. Next, I want to talk about that God equips us sufficiently, but not equally. God, or the master gave the, the, the servants everything that they had need of to do what he expected them to do. So like I said, we don't all have the same gifts, we don't all have the same talents, but God expects us to put to work and to be faithful with what he's given us. So now that we understand like, that God gave us something, next we must go over what we're supposed to do with what God's given us. The second point is God has given us something to do. We are to work for the Lord and bless other people with what God has given us. The next scripture that we're going to look at is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. I'll read that real quick. 
It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It says, do everything you do, work at it unto the Lord. You know, in our, when we look that, at that in our day-to-day job, hopefully we have jobs here, but we, we get paid in money, obviously, and we, we work to provide for ourselves. We work to pay off our school debt, pay off your car, uh, pay for groceries, pay for your house. You work for a, a material blessing so you're able to provide for yourself. But Colossians is telling us that this is not all we're supposed to work for. God is urging us to work for more than that. If we see our job as only a way to make money, we are missing out on what God has for us. You know, there's two things that happen when we forget that we're working for the Lord. Either we become idle in our job or we make an idol of our job. When I say we make an idol of our job, I mean that every bit of meaning and satisfaction will come from our job. We see our job as the main source and we fall into worshiping it. Everything that we are comes wrapped up in our job. You know, when you um, achieve success in your job, you feel happy, your life is good, but when it goes wrong, it affects your whole life. Everything that you are comes wrapped in your job. Second thing that happens when you forget that you're working for the Lord is you become idle in your job. And this does not mean just idle as in lazy. What I mean is that you begin to miss out on the purpose that God has for you in your job. Most of us don't work in the full-time ministry. You know, our job that we work is in the secular world. And God gives you opportunities every day to show his love, to show his grace to people, to show his forgiveness to people. And when we're lazy or have a bad attitude, that's how people view Jesus. You know, I heard one person say that, that you may be the only Jesus that someone ever sees. So in your workplace, when somebody sees you, they see Jesus. They see that you're a Christian and they see who you represent. You know, Jesus says that, that people will glorify God when they see our good work. So we don't have to go around preaching the gospel to people. You know, um, to glorify God in your work, you don't have to walk around and tell everyone about Jesus, tell everyone what Jesus, would, what, what Jesus did for you. That's kind of annoying. Um, God expects you just to work hard, just to see people Um, your work ethic and everything that you do. Just work hard at what you do and God will get glory for it. You know, along with working for the Lord in our job, we are to bless others with the gifts God has given us. God wants us to be generous with what he's blessed us with. Like Pastor Phil was saying, he wants us to be, or he's blessed us and equipped us to be a blessing to other people. The first two servants, it says they went to work immediately. They invested what the master gave them. So God doesn't want us to keep in what he's blessed us with. You know, a simple uh, example, application of that in your life would be um, whatever God has equipped you. You know, if you, like, if you like exercise, I'm really into exercising and eating healthy and all that. And I could just use that to benefit myself and I could just use that to just try to look my best and try to be the fittest I can be. But God wants to use that passion that he's given me And he wants me to bless other people with it. He wants me to look for ways I can help other people in that area. That's a small area, but um, God has given me that, so he wants me to give that to other people. Or, you know, you might be good at fixing cars or, you know, working around the house. You're a handyman. I'm really not blessed in that area. But um, 
so I always need help doing that. So, you know, if you want to bless me, go for it. But God, God wants you to look for ways and areas where you can help other people in that. You know, it can be the smallest things. It doesn't have to be big. Like I was saying, God invests, has invested a lot in you, and he doesn't waste his investments. God expects a return with what he's given you. Hold on, let me get some drink of water. God is good. Oh, there you go. Kind of, good job. So that brings us to our third point. Third point is God gives us all an opportunity. You know, there was a survey that was reading about, um, that was done on Americans and regret. It looked back at the, the short period of time, whether it was like a couple days, couple weeks, that the most thing, or sorry, I'll just read it. So when Americans look back at a short period of time, they regret action. When they look back at a short period of time, they regret action. So, you know, it might have been a couple days they did something wrong or they said something wrong, whatever. It was something that they did, they regret it. But then when they look back at a long period of time, they regret inaction. So it could be 20, 30, 40 years, they regret not doing something. It could be the guy who could have switched his career. He had to make a bold move, but he missed his opportunity. Or you might look back at a past relationship that you should have pursued, you should have invested more in, but you gave up on it. It was a wasted opportunity. God gives us so many opportunities day to day, and he wants us to take the opportunities that we have. You know, I'm really blessed to be able to have the opportunity to be able to preach today. Um, when Pastor Phil texted me, asked me if I wanted to preach today, I was like, man, of course, that'd be awesome. I wasn't that excited about it because I was honestly, I've never spoken at church before, so I was a little nervous about it. But I kind of just wanted to put it, I wanted to put it in God's hands, you know. I told God a little prayer, I prayed, I was like, God, if this message sucks, then it's your fault because you gave me the opportunity. <laughs> so you can blame God if you don't have a good time at church. You know, there's a story in the Gospels. Jesus was preaching to thousands and thousands of people. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, these people are hungry. They're tired. They've been following you, on, following you around for forever. It's a kind of a long hike back to the village, to the city where they can buy food. Send them away. And Jesus asked him, what do we, what do we have? And the disciples were like, we don't have enough. It would take over eight um, eight months of wages, and it's not like we're getting paid to follow you around. And so Jesus asked again, what do we have? And so they eventually found a little boy. He had, or, sorry, he had two small fish and five pieces of bread. And so they brought it to Jesus. So the opportunity here was to feed 5,000 people, over 5,000 people. But the resources that they had was just a little kid's fish and bread. So a little kid could have looked at that opportunity and been like, Jesus, you're crazy. I'm hungry. I'm just going to go home and eat my lunch. But no, he gave what he had to Jesus. And Jesus ended up feeding over 5,000 people with one little kid's fish and bread. So the main point of this story is that when we take what little we have, when Jesus gives us an opportunity, he will make it multiply. You know, there's a quote from Mark Batterson. He says, when we bring the little we have in our hand and put it in the hand of God, he won't just add it up, 
he'll make it multiply. So whatever little you have in your hand, whatever little that God's equipped you with, just bring it to God and he will let it multiply. So we're going to go on reading in Matthew 25. We're going to pick up in verse 19. So the second half of the passage portrays the master's return. He comes back and judges the servants according to what they did with what he had given them. Picking up in verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 22, the man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So we're gonna pause right there for a second too. The master was happy. The master was satisfied with what the servants gave, them, gave to him because they were found faithful in what he gave them. The servants weren't judged off of what he didn't give. The second servant wasn't judged off what he gave the first servant. They were judged off of what they were given. You know, the master's response was the same exact uh, response to both of those servants. The investment was different, the return was different, but he, was, he had the same response for both of them. And looking at our lives, like I've been saying, God expects you to be faithful with what he's given you. You know, I believe that nothing will compare with hearing, well done, good and faithful servant from the Lord. When we're standing before God, I want him to tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. When he's looked at your life and everything that you've done and everything that you've been through, he said, you know, I really didn't give you much. Your circumstances were hard. Your opportunities were rough, but you were faithful in what I gave you. God wants us to see us faithful in the little things. He says you're faithful with only a few things. It's the little things in life that God wants us to be faithful in. So still the question remains, why did the last servant not increase? You know, the first few verses told us that the, the last servant hid his talents. So now as we read, we find out why. So picking up in verse 24, it says, Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would, would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, I believe where the, the third servant went wrong, we can see it in his response. A few things happened in his response. First, he said, Master, I knew that you were harsh. 
His view of his, the master was harsh. Second, he said, I know that you harvest and you reap where you have not sown. He thought that the master's expectancy was far more than what he could do. So he ended up being afraid and overwhelmed and hid his talent. The overlying theme of the third servant, he didn't think he could please the master. He thought he had to please the master by himself, so he was afraid and overwhelmed. He thought that the expectancy was too much. He thought that there was too much to do. He just had too little. He couldn't please the master. And I think often, we often feel like the third servant. We're too overwhelmed trying to please God. We feel like no matter how hard we try, we just don't feel like it's good enough. You know, that's exactly what the Bible actually tells us. He tells us that we're not good enough to please God. It says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It says apart from God's grace, we cannot please the Father. In Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I'll finish verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we find from this verse that it's only by God's grace, not by what we do, not by how much we have. It's only by God's grace that we can please him. You know, the first two servants, I think, understood that the master would make multiply whatever they brought to him. Yeah, they were faithful. Yeah, they put to work what they brought to the master, or what the master gave to them. But ultimately, they knew that he would make multiply whatever they brought to him. Like I said, this is what the third servant didn't understand. He thought he had to do it all on his own. And the truth is, we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to please God on our own. In Isaiah 40, it says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So if you ever feel like you have to please God on your own, if you feel like you ever have to do it on your own, the truth is you can't do it on your own and we need God's strength to be with us. It says that the third servant was afraid. But the word tells us that God has given us a spirit that has overcome fear. God has equipped us with what we need to overcome fear. So number five, our last point, is just that God has given us power to overcome fear. And first, sorry, in 2 Timothy it says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, other translation says fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. The only way we can overcome fear, the only way we can overcome um, what we're scared of and you know, the opportunities that we have, the only way we can um, fulfill them is through God's spirit. And that, that is exactly what God has equipped us with. The only way to overcome fear is through Jesus Christ. God invested the largest sum to us that anyone has ever had. The largest sum that God has given us is Jesus Christ. God has invested so much in you and he has equipped you with what we need of to do what he's called us to do. You know, like I said, God gives us so many opportunities and he's equipped us with whatever we have need of. So look at your life. I want you guys to take the opportunities that God has given you. Understand 
that he's equipped you with everything you need to make the most of those opportunities, to live in those opportunities, to live in his will. He just expects you to be faithful with what he's given you. Could I ask everyone to stand up with me today? You know, God's given you a great opportunity today to accept what he's invested in us. Like I said, he's invested such a great amount into you that he gave his only son. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray out. Could I have everyone just close your eyes, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you wanna do that this morning, all you gotta do is say a prayer. In Romans it says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. So if you wanna make that commitment right now, all you gotta do is pray after me. So could I have everyone just repeat after me? Dear God, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross and save us. I believe in you. Jesus, come into my life. Change me. Thank you for equipping me. And I'll serve you with the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for sitting through that. I appreciate you guys. Um, it's been a lot of fun. So, Pastor Phil. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.